Welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where I teach you how to step into the arena of bigness, all the while creating more joy along the way. That's right. We are capable of reclaiming our power, our purpose, our boldness and bravery, and putting our bigness into the world. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach, who believes in giving you the tools to create a life you really love. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. Welcome everyone to today's show. I am so excited to share with you Laura Cathcart Robbins. She is a freelance culture writer and host of the most popular podcast, (laughs) The Only One in the Room, living in Studio City of California. And I was just recently interviewed for her podcast, so I can't wait for that episode Mm -hmm. to go live as well. Yes. She has been active for many years as a speaker and school trustee and is credited for creating the Buckley Schools Nationally Recognized Committee on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Her recent articles in the Huffington Post on the subjects of race, recovery, and divorce have garnered her worldwide acclaim. She is a 2018 LA Moth Story Slam winner and currently sits on the advisory board for the San Diego Writers Festival and the Outliers HQ Podcast Festival. Laura is also a founding member of Moving Forwards, the first national memorist collective of its kind. Laura, it's an honor to have you on today's show. Oh, thank you, Kim. I'm so excited. We get we get each other double today. <laughs> yeah, this is just yeah. going to be so natural for us. We were oh. coming off of me being interviewed for yours. Yes. What a fantastic interview, too. Yes. And yeah, I mean, I just it is so it is. We were having this. We talked for an hour and change on my podcast. And then just before you hit record, we were just flowing into another conversation. Yeah. I'm so excited that you asked me to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, and thank you to Sarah Dean, our mutual friend. Yes. Sarah, hi. Hello, Miss Sarah. We love you. <laughs> Sarah runs the yes. Shameless Mom Academy. She has the Shameless Mom podcast. And yes. really, that's how I hooked up with you, Laura. I yes. saw that you were the, well, I, I saw that you had been featured on Sarah's podcast and I really liked the episode and listen to it. I started to research. I was reading your articles on Huffington Post. And then I'm looking back and I'm like, oh my gosh, she was the keynote this past spring for Sarah's Shameless Mom Academy. And I was one of the speakers. Yes. Yes. So, you know, the stars just aligned for the two of us to meet. Mm -hmm. And there's a thousand topics that I could talk with you about because this flows very naturally to the two of us. But I want to understand the story behind your very popular podcast called The Only One in the Room. Where where did this name come from? Where what is this mission that you're on? Mm. Kind of take us back and and, and give us the trajectory of what led up to that. Thank you for that. Um, I I love talking about this because it was it, it is the story of my life. Um, and it's also the origin story of the podcast. So the, the story of my life goes in Cambridge Montessori School, which is where I spent my childhood in Cambridge, Mass. I was the only black kid in my school for a while, in the entire school. 
and then in my class after that um, until I left there. And, you know, in, in almost every space that I've inhabited, I have been either the only one or one of two um, black people in, in the room at my office at on a film shoot in, in public relations, which is what I did before my kids were born um, in recovery rooms where, where I often sit here in Los Angeles on the tennis court, like you name it, probably I'm the only black person there um, in the spaces, like I said, that I inhabit and which is why I created that board um, at the, the school that my children attended, which was a primarily white space at the time to have some somebody kind of pulling to bring you know, more inclusion, bring in more people, bring in more diversity, which just means numbers, and then figure out how to, you know, make these people that we're bringing in feel at home. We don't want any singletons, which is what I know I was called. There was a name for what I was. I didn't know that. So fast forward to 2018, when I um, attended a, a writing retreat with two of my literary sheroes, Elizabeth Gilbert, who we all know, her. right, wrote Eat, Pray, Love, but she also wrote my favorite book, a book that sits on my desk consistently while I'm writing called Big Magic. And oh, that's it is, one of my favorites too. I love that book and I use it while I'm writing. I refer back to it when I need inspiration. I love it. And, and then Cheryl Strayed, whose book Wild was also, I was like, wow, someone can write this honestly about heroin, about, you know, trouble with their parent, about, you know, promiscuity, like all these things. And she was so honest and raw with her writing. I didn't know that was possible before I read Wild. And so these two women are besties and do this thing called Brave Magic. Um, they've done it more than once and it's a retreat. It's a three day retreat at different places. This one happened to be in the Santa Cruz mountains, um, here in California, where I live still a plane flight flight away from me. Um, I could have driven it, but it would have been like a four or five hour drive. So I flew, rented a car, drove up in amazing vistas up in these mountains, very windy, you know, pine tree line roads you could feel how fresh the air was which is not something we get a lot of in los angeles <laughs> and you know i arrived at this event and the check-in line was 200 people deep like women were standing online to check in and there's a lot of you know we call it black people call it kikiing um uh, jewish people call it kibitzing <laughs> Yeah, but this is like that chatter, you know, conviviality. You walk in and you can see everybody's energy's up. Everybody's excited. So I got in the back of this line and the memoirist, memoirist group that you mentioned that I'm a part of called Moving Forwards. It's a group of women that I'm in. We're in all different places around the country. I hadn't met them in person before, but a few of them were coming to this event. So I was really excited to see them. They're all white as well. Um, but so was everybody in line. And eventually I saw that people were kind of turning around and looking at me. Okay. Now I want to stop you for a minute. Yeah. What about what year is this? 2018. So this is 2018. Yeah. You're on a what, writing retreat. There's yes. 200 people in line. Yes. And you are the, the only, only person of color. Yeah. I'm not the only person of color. There were, uh, uh, there were some Brown people there. I don't know where they were from. They were, there was one woman that I met from Korea um, okay. And another that um, she was Japanese American. So there were there were 11 people of color at this event out of 600 people. 
Um, but there, I was the only black one. Wow. So I, I went through this amazing retreat. I got, you know, I filled notebooks. I got so much writing done. I learned so much. So I had this very dual experience of being totally geeked out at being so close to these literary sheroes of mine and, and the, and the feeling of 600 people all focused on the same thing, all, you know, it was very communal, the feeling there. Yeah. And at the same time, I had a very single experience, a very solo experience because I don't know how I can put this. So it doesn't seem judgmental, but there is, there was a lot of privilege there. And I know that word is so overused, but you know, these were all basically all white women, a lot of them blonde like you, <laughs> um, but women of who, who lived a certain lifestyle, who could afford to take three days away from their families, who had pashmina shawls and Louis Vuitton, you know, um, pillows to sit on when we did our, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and, and so there was this level of privilege that wasn't just socioeconomic privilege. It was also the privilege of, I, I don't think that anybody, if I hadn't written about that when I got back, I don't think anyone there would have taken too much offense at the fact that they there weren't any black people there. Yes. I don't think it would have been noticed. No. It didn't feel like I would it was acknowledged while I was there. And and so I had this very solo experience, things would be said, and it's hard to to quantify what was said. I do have this one example. Um, if you like that. I yes, I would. It. I want to know. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I need to understand. Yeah. What what this feels like uh, and some examples, because I think what you said is so very true, is that if you are not a singleton, you are not even aware. Today's episode is brought to you by me and my 90 day big, bold and brave coaching program otherwise known as the BBB. This is the 90 day guided journey that unleashes your happiness and helps you fully step in to the arena of bigness. If you're feeling stuck in an action, you're tired of reliving the same year over and over again without getting the results, then it could be time to take a courageous leap. The BBB is a simple framework where I share the nine major shifts I took to step into my big one daring day at a time. In the program, I teach you how to create a compelling and clear vision for all areas of your life, how to get crystal clear on what you want, how to understand the law of attraction and become a super manifester, and how to know and own your value. If you're looking for the hidden strategies that all successful people know, but for some reason you don't, and you're ready to bust through the plateau in your life, Big, Bold, and Brave, the 90-Day Coaching Program is for you. You can fill out an application at kimstrubble.com forward slash apply and be the first to know when we launch the next cohort right. of it. Because like, I'll give you an example. Every December with my education consulting company, we would do the Strobel Summit, which was a series of free online courses from people that I was connected with around the country. And I, I, I told you I um, had joined 
a business coaching group at the time yeah. that was mostly people of color. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and one of the ladies stands up and she says, I'm just going to be frank with you. I'm tired of going to conferences and watching one white woman after another white woman, after another white woman, get on the stage. Can I please see someone who looks like me also sharing information and valuable yes. wisdom? And immediately I was like, Oh my gosh, for the last three years, every single speaker I've had on that as was white be, be two reasons, right? I live in the Midwest. I live in a city where there was one black family and I'm not exposed very much to that. So I don't have a ton of connections, but I'm also not even aware that this is an issue until now. Right. Right. And, and so once I understood yeah. it was an issue, now I can proactively expand my experiences. Yes. So, yes. okay. So take me back. So here you are. Nobody else is having the same experience as you. It's yes. not even really acknowledged. No, it's not acknowledged. And so there's kind of a breakout. It's not a, an official breakout group where we're in between sessions. We're in the hallway. There's a proverbial like the water cooler, except for it's coffee. So everybody's kind of getting it's a coffee station and I'm standing there um, with one of the women from my writer's group who I was really excited to see. And the there's a, a, a circle of women. Um, most of them are moms, I think. And they were talking about one of them was saying she how proud she was of her son who had argued his way out of a, a, a traffic ticket. He had gotten pulled over, argued his way out. And she's like, he's going to be an attorney. And everybody in the group is like nodding, like, of course. Oh, my God, that's amazing. And I get flooded with tears and I have to walk away because there is no way in hell that I would ever be proud of one of my kids for arguing their way out of a ticket. I would be horrified. I would be terrified for their lives if they talked back to a policeman you know, and, and, and Laura, I want yeah. you to speak on that even more. I want you to go even deeper because a lot of my listeners may not even understand your adverse yes. reaction to that. So yeah. the reason you would be upset with your child for doing that is be, is why? Okay, so th there's, there's something that people are talking about now um, that Black people have been doing for years, and it's called The Talk. And so it's like, you know, it used to be the sex talk, right? Have you had the talk yet with your kid? And you would tell them about, at one point they said the birds and the bees, and now it's just, you know, the talk is about sex. In the black community, the, that is not the talk. The talk is, what do you do if you were pulled over? And every black woman or every black parent has to have this, have to have this talk with their black child, um, especially if that child is a boy. If you have sons like I do, I have two sons. They're now 21 and 22. As soon as they are old enough to ride in a car without you, and even before that, they need to know exactly what to do if you're pulled over in order to save their lives because one wrong move can get them killed. And, and you, we've seen it on television, licensed gun carriers narrating what they're doing, pulling out their weapon to show the policemen have gotten fired on and, and killed. So everything, the talk is you put your hands on the wheel where they can see them. You say, yes, ma'am. You say, no, ma'am. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. 
You do not do anything unless you are asked. You tell them everything you're going to do before you do it. You make every movement as slow as possible. I am reaching for my registration. Is it okay if I open my glove box? You ask for permission before you do anything. They tell you to get out of the car. You get out of that car. You do not resist in any way. It doesn't matter if you weren't doing anything. What matters is you stay alive. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, to hear this conversation taking place with such kind of fervor and glee seemed so blind um, to, to my presence and to what it might look or feel like for me. And there were things that were said on stage that weren't as acute, um, you know, jokes about, you know, I'm sure no one's been arrested, blah, blah, blah. But then a few people look over at me and... <laughs> Uh, and I, you know, and, and, and truly I was uncomfortable, even though I haven't been arrested and, and also just to clarify, or just to, to say every encounter I've ever had with the police has been wonderful. Mm. Police have always been amazing to me. They've always been a safe space. I have much respect for the policemen in my particular neighborhood. I know my patrolmen. Um, so I don't have this judgment against the police, but I have an awareness of what's been done to people that look like my sons in this country. So I have to protect them, but I've never been arrested. And, but I was still uncomfortable when that was mentioned in this kind of offhanded way, because if that had been my story and it would be my story, probably more likely than it would be the woman sitting next to me because black people are arrested at a higher rate, period. You know, whether we've done anything or not, we are profiled. It's, it's, we have laws against profiling in certain states because black people are profiled. We are pulled over um, eight times more often than our white counterparts. So to say something like that on stage is a joke and not to be considerate of the one black person in the audience mm -hmm. feels insensitive. Absolutely. And um, so that's, that's where I was. And I, I, I got back from that experience high from everything that I learned. And like I said, being in front of these two women and my notebooks full of writing and very kind of um, off. Yeah, I was off my emotional axis. Like I was emotionally off balance because I was confused by the kind of, I guess I want to say devastation that might be too dramatic, but I, I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me. Like I had gone there to have a communal experience and I ended up partially having one, but also having this very solo experience, like I said. And so I wrote about it. Um, he wrote about, I got back on Thursday. I wrote it on Friday, a beautiful writing teacher that I have, Jessica Sensen Enriquez, who does an amazing personal essay class online. Um, she read it and said, here are the editors I want you to pitch this to. Like she read it on Saturday and I pitched it on Sunday and half post put it live Monday morning at 9 a.m. And it went viral. Oh, wow. And I had never had anything go viral before. I didn't know what the impact of that would be, that people from all over the world um, would be messaging me and commenting and finding me um, to tell me that they understood what it felt like to be other, to feel like you're alone in a room full of people. And so I, um, I, I saw that a lot of those responses that I got were hashtag the only one in the room. 
And I had never heard that before either. I was like, oh, that's dope. The only one in the room. And that's like, they all know this, all these people. And I thought it would just be black people, but it was white people. It was, you know, people in every, not every different country, but so many different countries, socioeconomic, you know, situations, ages, abilities, disabilities, um, gender preferences, gender orientation. Like they all understood what I was saying. And that was like, it, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. It made me cry. So this podcast was created as a space for people to share those stories. And I just, I got goosebumps all over in my body because I was thinking of what, you know, it, it makes me think of the pain that you did have to endure. And then the beauty that came out of that, like you suffered but your suffering now has created this outlet of connection to understanding that the feelings of isolation happen for many different reasons, but also just understanding that, you know, it just, it makes me think back to our ancestors, your ancestors, like all of the hard things that people had to endure so that we could have some of the freedoms that we have today, but specifically for you, a, a, a black woman in understanding this education piece that I will tell you, many white people do not have the education, Laura, and I am including, I'm including myself in that. When all of this began to even be brought to the forefront, I have had to listen to podcasts and read books because I know I am making mistakes too. And the only way I learn is if someone can kindly call me out on that and, and show me because it's not like you said, no one else was even aware that this was happening. No. So I also want to know if you communicated that to Elizabeth Gilbert and Cheryl Strait. I, I didn't directly. Um, they, they both posted about it afterwards, but it was kind of like, um, like Cheryl Strait posted, she had, she had been off social media for a week. And when she came back on her inbox was flooded as well. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And she, she just talked about like in general, um, striving to create a safe space for, for everyone. Elizabeth Gilbert did a little bit more of the same, um, about a year ago though. So, you know, after a year it passed since I wrote the article, um, she was interviewed by the Atlantic and the reporter asked her point blank about my article and what impact it had had on her and how she was moving forward. And she gave some really interesting responses. Um, and the, the reporter asked her if she had tried to contact me and she just said, you know, we haven't been in contact. I, I neither of them ever tried to contact me, but um, yeah, it's, it was, it was interesting. She said that she, I think, she, I think one of the things she said is like it, the article, my article was of God, like it was God speaking to the world through my article about what needs to change. So it was complimentary. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that sense of ownership, I think, is so very important, too, you know, and, yeah. and just that's what I, I my learning in all of this has really been you know, and, and, and it's like, we don't need to rely on people of color and put another heaviness on them, but 
the best way that I know to say it is help me learn, but help, help me learn, um, in a way that doesn't, you know, also shame me while I'm trying to learn, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a couple of the analogies I use, I loved your analogy that you gave us in your pot. And, and when you did the only one in the room a few, an hour ago, <laughs> Um, of, of a panic attack, a panic attack, feeling like you're sitting, standing on a train rail and a train's coming at you 300 miles an hour. And they're letting you know that it's going to stop one inch from you. So, but you can't move. You yes. must stay right there. And then what, that's what it feels like. So one of the things that I use to help people kind of understand what I felt like was, you know, being in a room of right-handed people, and, you know, just not realizing that all the scissors are made for right-handed people. All the desks are created for right-handed people, the way they all shape is. Everything is created for right-handed people. It's not that I don't like the left-handed person. I just don't ever think about them. Yes. It wouldn't occur to me that they're going to have to make extra efforts or not be able to write or cut or do the things that I take for granted. So there's my privilege, right? That, I have right-handed privilege. That yeah. is a great example. My husband, just a couple weeks ago, he's a lefty and he was saying, I don't know how, but we were talking about school desk and he's like, Kim, I had like permanent, yes. um, like scabs on my arms because of how I would have to try to hold my arm. Right. In order. Like, he's like, it was a major pain going through school. You no, know, and, it, it is. And you make the adjustments, right? Yes. You make that you quietly you know, like you were talking about with panic attacks, you quietly make these adjustments um, because you don't want to call attention to yourself. And that's yes. that's not fun. I don't always want to be the one on black over here on black. But, you know, at the same time, and I also I don't want to think about it all the time either. I want to be a friend among friends, a worker among workers, a, you know, a peer yeah. among peers. But there's that. And the other analogy I use, um, especially when I'm talking about um, education, is, you know, would you send your female child to an all-male institution where everyone, including faculty, including admin, including all their peers, is male? And would you be comfortable doing that? And what would her life look like um, if you did that where she didn't have any affinity? And that's the thing that I was missing there was affinity. There was no one for me to look across the room at and be like, girl, you heard that too, right? <laughs> Like, yes, you know, I, yes. I had no one to do that with there. Neither with that female child being sent to an all male institution. And, you know, maybe that left handed person does. Maybe they don't. But those are the ways without shaming people, I can get them to kind of refocus um, like not I'm, I'm not a bad person for not noticing that left handed person as a right handed person with privilege. Right. The right handed right. privilege. I'm not. But once I know am I not obligated to then consider how things might feel for them? Yes, I am. I, I love that. And that I, um, you know, read white fragility back in the spring and I did a podcast episode on it because again, we, it, it, it's not understanding the education behind it that is causing the problem. And so it's like, once we can call attention to it, do we have the bandwidth to expand ourselves enough to go, Oh, you're, you're right. Like I did not understand that was never on my radar, but I'm now understanding those things need to be on my radar. You know, I have gone through life thinking like, I'm not a racist. I mean, I, I don't intentionally ever treat a person of color differently, but you know what I have learned, Laura? 
I've learned that racism isn't individualistic. I've learned that I am a racist because I have benefited from a system that gives me privileges that people of color do not have. I am a racist because I have this thing called unconscious bias, which is unfortunately deeply embedded in my cellular body, which says when Kim goes down an alley and four white guys are coming down, I might feel a little shaky, but if there's four black guys coming down, there's something, and, 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 and I feel a little even scared to admit this in this day and time, but like there, there's something that goes off in me that is different that I'm now able to identify that's unconscious bias. So Kim, how do, how does Kim little Midwestern Kim who grew up in Tel city, Indiana with one black family who was amazing and, and, and loved, but how do I become more aware of how I navigate my world and my business, my friendships going forward, right? Like there, I feel like I, as a white woman, have a personal responsibility to let my hackles be raised and know that that's my new learning so that I can change the way that I understand how the world works for others and try to do my part in that. And so when you're leaving this retreat, Laura, I want to know there was, you, there, there was an affinity there that you did not feel. There was no one for you to look f- to when these kind of things were being done or said that no one else knew were hurtful, but did, was there a part of you that felt less than uh, once again in your life because of the color of your skin? That's a good question. Um, you know, I don't even know if I don't even know if I felt less than at any point. Um, even while growing up, I definitely felt different then. But I don't know. You know, I, I have to just give credit to my parents here. Yeah, my parents were hippies. First of all, they still are. <laughs> kind of. And, um, you know, my, my parents have been raised during Jim Crow. Um, they had, my mother had been beaten by the Catholic nuns, um, and called a savage, a black savage. Uh, my, my father had also been beaten at his school. They were both raised in Chicago. I was born in Chicago and, um, he had been beaten up by white kids when he went through the wrong neighborhoods. Um, they had both been refused service called the n-word multiple times so they were very young um i mean to me they were young when they had me my mom was 19 my dad was 23 turning 24 and they um or he was already 24 and they they made this decision even though they got divorced when i was four but to raise me in such a way that i would not be as impacted um that i had a chance you know, to just be me before I started adjusting and altering myself for the world. And the first place they decided that I should be raised was Copenhagen, Denmark, because there there is such a freer society than Chicago was at that time. I don't think either of them realized what a homogenous society it was. I was really the only one right. there. So we were there for just about, we were under there, there for under a year. Um, I turned five in Cambridge, which is where I talked about going to school. 
um, Cambridge, Mass. That was the next place. But they made this decision that this might be a good place to raise Laura so she wouldn't be as impacted by the things that we were impacted by. So they found this very kind of progressive Montessori school for me to attend. And even though I was the only black kid, there was a black female principal um, named Jackie. I don't remember her last name. And so I, I was kind of, I walked in feeling, you know, equal to my peers because I didn't know any better. And I wasn't ever told that I was anything different until much later. Um, I didn't hear anything that felt or seemed racist. My hair was definitely different, but people liked it. You know, they wanted me to wear it out because I wore it in two braids down my back. They always wanted me to wear it out so they could dig their fingers in it. Yes. Um, but I didn't like want their hair. You know what I mean? I just, I just knew it was different. And that's, again, I have to give my parents so much credit and I do for- yeah, That is amazing. Really, it was amazing. So considering the yeah. anger and resentment and atrocities that they had been through that could have so easily seeped into their child. And instead yes. they became proactive in a really big way. And so yes. they intentionally put you in the circumstances and situations so that you, you knew yourself of your own value. Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I walked and there were certain things that I wish were different about me, but not race. Like I never wished that I was anything other than black, but I did wish for like longer swingier hair sometimes. Um, sometimes I mean, for I wish for boobs for a really long time. <laughs> I finally I got them so late. I got them when I was almost 17. I thought they weren't coming. Um, yeah. But they yeah. came. I, so believe I, it or I, not, I have the same a similar story. I didn't start really? the period till one month before my 17th birthday. And so like I went from nothing to everything. Yes, and me too. I mean, not, not but yeah, very close to that. Yeah. So I definitely wished for different things, but I didn't wish like, oh, I wish I wasn't black or I didn't wow. feel like if I were, if I were something else, my life would be better. It, that, that wasn't my, that wasn't my line of thinking then. So I didn't feel less than as I was leaving this um, retreat, but I felt acutely different. I okay. felt that difference. That difference was glaring. And I knew that once I was back in, an, in a more diverse space or in a space with more black people that it would disappear. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, so is the, is the better word maybe. So you didn't feel less because honestly you, you were raised with confidence in who you are. Yes. So you even put in a situation where you could have easily been made to feel that way. You had enough of a core value system about who you were that you did not walk away with feelings of less than is the better word invisible. Did you yes. feel invisible? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I, tell us, because I know your entire podcast is about how people feel like they are the only one experiencing whatever it is. And I love that in your podcast, as I listen through, you know, you had um, Rebecca Gayhart on there and that was a very, Powerful, very, yeah. very hard, vulnerable conversation where she discussed mm -hmm. that she had been in a car accident that had killed a young person yes. and she felt like the only one who had ever 
done that or endured that or caused that kind of suffering. And so I think it's really important for our audience to understand that your podcast is not about being the only black person. Right. It is the fact that we all have felt invisible at times, or many of us have, I should say, because Mm -hmm. of a situation or a circumstance. And for someone like you, who throughout your life, maybe has had that feeling. Can you explain what invisibleness feels like? Yeah, that's boy, that's hard. Um, And thank you for that. And thank you for mentioning Rebecca's because that is the stories that we tell are stories of being other. They're not necessarily stories of race, but they certainly can be. Yes. You know, we, we've had a few of those stories, um, but, you know, we we've had we've had so many different things um, from people who are self partnered, from people who were raised in a cult, you know, from, you know, it's it could be anything that kind of sets you apart. And like you said, makes you feel alone in a room full of people, which is our tagline. Um, being invisible is exhausting. You are always fighting to be seen. And when I do diversity work, I'm fighting for others to be seen, not just black people. You know, I we raised our prices for our our school lunch burgers two years ago. Um, They were 60 cents in this package that we offered and then they became a dollar. And I I knew nothing about this and it was not discussed with our, our committee beforehand. I was furious. Like, how are, how are you justifying this to our families for whom that 60 cents was a stretch? You know, these are the same families who don't get prom tickets because they're too expensive. And okay, we can give them free tickets. That's the solution. No, we have to get them a dress. We have to get them transportation. The boys need to be able to buy a corsage. All that stuff costs money. You know, parents can't participate in the the parent association gala because they can't afford a babysitter. You know, all these things have to be considered. These are only one stories yes. where no one's going to say anything about it. So I'm fighting for the people with abilities. I'm fighting for people with different gender orientations to have safe spaces on the campus. I'm fighting for all these people to be seen and their value understood, you know, in the same way that I fight for my own. You know, I, I, and it is exhausting. It really is. I, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to stop. No, I I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do actually in the future. I don't think I'm going to stop. I haven't stopped. I have no plans of stopping, but it is to, to get people who only look at something one way for a very long time to expand and see all these other things is really like pulling those hands apart And then they go right back together. So you have to pull them apart again. Like, no, you know, this, this, this woman here, I mean, this, this four-year-old who's coming in with two male parents, you know, needs to be able to talk about that. And what about Mother's Day? How are we going to do this for her? Good. Yeah. Can we change it to Parents' Day? You know, it's, it's like these little things and it's expanding how we look at our, our different populations so that everyone is included. Mm-hmm. That's why on my Instagram, I call myself an inclusionist. That's all I'm doing all the time is trying to make sure that everybody's perspective and point of view is included. The individual, I, I can't do anything about, you know, right. If someone is seen and valued. It's up to them whether or not they participate the way they went blah, blah, blah. But 
but I need to create that space just like I needed to create it for myself. That space was not created for me at Brave Magic. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was listening to, um, I think her name is Catherine Zeta. She has a podcast called manifestation babe, and I've really, really been enjoying it. And today when I was running, I was listening to an episode and I forget who she accredited this to, but she talked about the gift of being able to see multiple perspectives Mm. and that so many of us Right. We, we have one perspective. And as soon as somebody tries to shift that, we like you said, we can we um, we contract. Right. We. Yes. And and um, because it feels uncomfortable. And so we try to like we're like going back in. And she said for her, she feels like one of her best gifts is that she can hold multiple perspectives at the same time. And I was like, mm. you know what isn't like I, I myself think wow, how quickly we judge with like everything in our cellular body that says, this is the right way to, yes. to be and act. And we, we don't just take a breath and say, can I create some space for this other way of looking at this situation? Mm -hmm. And so what you're really doing is it's like visceral in you. I can see it when you're talking viscerally. You are on a mission to make every human being feel safe and included. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it is, I, obviously I won't achieve that. One of, one of our guests, I don't know if you heard this one, was Gloria Allred. And mm -hmm. she's amazing. Are you familiar with her? No, I'll so look it up. She's a, a women's rights activist attorney and she she's i mean she's done amazing work she's changed precedents she's made laws um she has put bills into congress and had them passed as law and you know one of her first stories and in, in her book and one of the reasons we were able well i i want i really wanted to get her on the show so it wasn't but anyway, yeah. <laughs> I like worked to get her um, was going into save on drugs with her daughter um, and, you know, her daughter going for the little cash machine toy. And like, why is this on the boys aisle, mom? And then looking over at the girls aisle and seeing the easy bake oven and like all the other ones. And like, but don't boys like to bake? Like when they that's how you get to be a chef, right? Like being confused and Gloria sued them and made them change it just to toys. And, you know, so she, she has been, she has been literally like not fighting um, as in physically, but she has been arguing for that point of view with gay rights, um, LGBTQ rights, women's rights, um, you know, certainly civil rights on all fronts, on a legal front for her whole life, basically, since she was like 22 years old. And, I don't, I'm not doing that, <laughs> you know, like right. I'm not taking up every cause and going to the point where laws are changed, yes. but I am doing my best to, first of all, open my own perspective. I'm always, I'm always open to upgrading my technology. We had um, this guy named Delo on who's amazing. I love him. I've since gotten to know him so much better and Delo's trans, he's transgender. And I, I was using all the wrong words. I interviewed him. I pre-interviewed him. So I thought I had them all right. I had everything wrong. 
I had the wrong terms for things. And he set me straight very gently. Yes. Um, and I learned so much. And, you know, I think when people are called things like racist or people get things wrong like that with language and they get frustrated, we go on the defensive and we want yes. to defend our point of view. I'm, I'm not I'm not transphobic. You know, I, I think what you said implies that I am and I'm not. And I want to make that point before we can go on. But that's not the point. The point is that that there was something that I said that wasn't appropriate, you know, for it to describe what he is or where he is. And I can learn from that, upgrade my technology around it and come back to him and have a conversation that includes the way he needs to be referred to. I absolutely love that. You're making me think to back to when I was in Vermont, um, I spent two and a half weeks in October kind of in a, in a remote cabin up in Northern Vermont working on my book. And then the last four days, my husband joined me and we, we went to Stowe, Vermont, cause I love snow skiing and all of that. And they weren't, it was not snow skiing season yet, but like there were all the fun little pubs and just cozy fireplaces. And my husband and I sat at a bar and had a drink and um, well, a couple of drinks, but <laughs> There was a black couple next to us and I, you know, I'm just kind of listening to them and overhearing their conversation. And somehow I got up the courage to introduce myself and we started talking about the upcoming election, how important it was to all of us. And the one guy ended up saying, hey, you know, we're not we're not a a couple, so to speak. He said, I I'm a gay man. And he said, not only my gay man, he said, I'm a gay man who was in the military. And what I loved is, see, I, I, I want to know more. I want to understand. And so I said, are you comfortable with me asking you some questions? It's my natural tendency to be curious. And Vaughn said, absolutely. And so he just like went on to explain what it was like to be a gay black man in the military. Um, You know, that. the hardships of it, but also, you you know, his ability to navigate it with such perseverance. And it was such an enlightening conversation. And I felt like he schooled me on many things when it came to, we discussed racism, we discussed um, gender inequality. And what I loved when we were done is I said, Vaughn, the biggest gift you have given me is your ability to share and educate and converse with me on these topics. And you did so with grace. Mm. You didn't do it with any kind of shame on my end as I'm trying to learn. Like he did it with such kindness and such grace that I walked away, like you said, with a with a software update, right? Like I had new language and new understanding so that when I talk about these topics, I can bring some of that to it. And it was it was just wonderful to engage in conversation and for him to have the courage to talk about those things with me. Oh, I, yeah. I'm, I love that. First of all, girl, I need Vaughn's number. He oh. needs to be a guest on my show. <laughs> Let me tell you what he, he is interesting. He is yes. awesome. I I'm all over all of that Vaughn's contact information. <laughs> 
Um, he is a performer. He's theatrical. He yes. is, um, what is it? Um, see, I'm going to lose the term, but what is it when you, um, like do a drag queen shows and you dance and yeah. so like at one point he got up from the bar and showed my husband, his booty shake versus mine. Ooh. And my husband liked his better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No, so please but I love that sister he, up. Yes. Yeah. He was so kind. Like he, was so open to conversing and, and helping. And I, I sometimes hesitate to say that because I think now that all of this has really come to the forefront. Now we white people are like relying even more so on you, you know, people of color and black people to, to help us. And it's like, now you even have a bigger responsibility because now we're really asking for your help. And I think there's a heaviness to that, but I loved that the way he navigated the conversation not that the conversation was about me, but it made me feel safe to learn from him. Yeah. And I, I really, I was actually going to bring that up and I'm so glad you did because there, there is, I actually, one of the articles I wrote was, was about that was about, I'm, I'm really tired of, of explaining what, what, what it's like to be me right now. I know you're waking up to this. I'm glad but I can't be the one. And that's just where I was in that moment. That was um, right after George Floyd was killed. Um, so that was, you know, the beginning of June. I think I wrote the article the first week of June. And that was another um, viral article on HuffPost. And, you know, since then, um, I've come to a different place than I think a lot of my my Black peers. And I, I, I won't speak for anyone, actually. I don't know where anybody else is, but from what I understand, from what I'm reading and that type of thing, I feel like I'm in a place where I have restored enough Mm -hmm. to be able to be someone who can take a few moments and have that conversation. The other thing that's happened as a result of the awareness around um, the killing of black men and particularly in the Breonna Taylor, who was also, um, you know, uh, uh, killed this year, and, 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 and uh, yeah, I can't even talk about her murder, but um, the awareness that came about as a result of it is there, there are all these resources now where people can, I can say, here's what I know, but you can also go to this website and check out these books. There are so many lists of books to read if you're curious about how to upgrade your technology around this and to be more expansive in how you and 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 really you know consider it as an interesting word right um when i when i i consider myself to be a considerate person but consider it really means that i am considering how you feel right that's what makes me a considerate person and that just seems very basic as far as civility right you have to be kind considerate blah 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 it's a it's a box that we check but but to really look at that word is really what this is asking from us is just to consider how everyone in this scenario feels. And for me, that includes, you know, you, if I'm talking to you as a white woman, how it must feel to, to kind of wake up around this and feel like you want to know more to do better, but don't have a person to ask or don't know what the right thing is to even begin to ask, right? A lot of people don't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. And, and are afraid of saying and doing the wrong thing um, because it's so emotionally charged. 
It is. And, you know, I'm going to say this because I am just a straight shooter. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I feel like a lot of people, a lot of white women in the coaching realm got on this bandwagon because it was like a girlfriend, this is happening. And if you're not going to acknowledge it and talk about it, we're coming at you. So you better, you better have a podcast episode on this, or you better interview a black person or you better do something. And my issue with that is the intention behind it is the intention once again, to save yourself as the white woman, or are you really willing to put in the work, which means you take the time to read the books, you do your research and find the podcast. Like for me, and I told Sarah Dean this recently, I sent her a Marco Polo because I was like, you know what, Sarah Dean, you didn't just have one podcast episode that talked about this issue. Like you are on a platform and a mission to make this constantly be in the forefront of your listeners. And I applaud you for that, yes. you know. But even for me, I have, you know, I'm reading Austin Channing Brown right now. I have a podcast I'm listening to. Um, I can't just always reach out to the and say, hey, you now now I'm going to add this to your list. Help me as a white woman understand this because you now need to carry the burden of that as well. Mm hmm. I, well, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no. So like, I, I appreciate that you have explained that, you know, that, that you didn't even have the mental fortitude because one, you're experiencing all the emotions of what has happened for years, but is being brought more to the forefront. Um, and you are discussing this, as you said, like on your podcast and in your, your written articles that are going viral, you're bringing this to the forefront, but it's not easy work and it's not easy work for you, Lara. Mm-mm. No, it's not. And um, thank you for mentioning what Sarah Dean is doing again, because I think it is really important to acknowledge that she started way before 2020 um, and she continues to do. So I actually had her on my podcast kind of in the middle of all this, also in June um, to I tell me what it, was, episode. Yeah, what it was like to be white and yes. what it was like to be a white woman and, and to talk about the resources that she had found for herself as a result of wanting to educate herself more around this issue, even though she had been talking about it for years, there was, there was a deeper dig there to be done. And and she was willing, she had her shovel. (laughs) She was willing to go. Yeah. You know, for all my listeners, if you go to Sarah Dean's podcast, um, shameless mom, you, Mm -hmm. you, that's a great way to educate yourself because she has brought on so many people to help us understand that. And here's what else I love about Sarah Dean guess. I don't know if you know this or not, Laura, but if she asks um, a person of color to come on and do an episode, she pays them. Ah, yes. She pays. Yes. Because you know, now everybody wants to talk to you all because we, we need to, sh- and, and so she's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I understand you're getting tons of requests. I value your time. And I've just, it's just another layer to her that shows uh, her integrity. Right. It makes me love her even more. I know. You know, See, let's just call this the Sarah D. We love you <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and I had another thought about something you said, and now it's completely left my head, but um, I just, I just think, I just want to thank you for, for, you know, oh, I know what it was. You were talking about um, the obligation of kind of blackening up your whatever, your store, your your podcast, your platform, your brand, 
you know, there has been a rush for people who want to advertise on our show now, which is great. I'm taking it, right? Heck yeah, <laughs> taking it. Um, but but there has been this this obligation to include so that you don't get um, so that you don't have to suffer repercussions, but not because you were genuinely interested or one is genuinely interested in amplifying those voices or promoting, you know, um, this mindset or, or awareness around the issues that are facing the black community in our country in particular. I mean, yes. and so there, there, there's going to be some fallout for that. And I think the test will be in six months who's still amplifying those voices, who's still upgrading their technology around this, who is still pursuing it, or who will have gone on to the next trend, because it, it is now a trend, a trend that might continue for a little bit longer because we have a, a Black South Asian female vice president-elect, um, which is, I'm not, I haven't even processed that yet. You know, Girl, I did I see a picture on your website of you with Kamala? Yes, you did. Oh my yes, gosh. I, wanna go, I have to go there. I mean, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh. So the woman I'm talking to today, you know, I, I have all of this just honor to even be in your same space after researching you and hearing your story and knowing your work. And then I popped up your website real quick before you and I jumped on for this. And I'm like, holy shit, there's her and Kamala. I <laughs> God, so great. She, so she is really good friends with one of my really good friends. And when she was running for attorney general here in California, they did a very small fundraiser at their home. And I went and was able to speak with her and hear her. And then when she was running for Senate, um, they did another small fundraiser at their home. And my mom and I, my mom and I went both times. Um, and what a thrill for my mom, you know, to, for someone that did grow up in that Jim Crow era, to first see Obama and then now see a black female South Asian woman um, who speaks for all of us, but really just represents so much possibility, like she said in her acceptance speech. Oh, yeah, I have to yeah. show you. So I posted, I made this quote after her acceptance. You guys can't see the video here, but there's a quote. Dream with ambition, lead with conviction and see yourself in a way that others might not see you simply because they've never seen it before. Woo! I mean, Kamala I, Harris. Like she, everything she said during her speech was so potent you yes. know and i told scott i said my husband i was like there is not she there wasn't a tremble to her like mm -hmm. she was stepping into that light and she knows the work ahead of her and my golly she is ready to do it she is and i think it was chrissy tegan tegan sorry chrissy tegan that posted um I just love her. But one of the things she posted is she was like, for the black community, today is like unhooking your bra, taking off your weighted blanket and taking out your extensions all at the same time. <laughs> I and I was like, it. oh, my God. Yes. A weight. Just yes. so many weights from so many. I didn't even know I was carrying you know, as as a as a person of color, as a bi POC, as a black woman with black children and black parents that are still alive, you know, which I'm so grateful for, for ever, all of us to be able to just be a little bit safer. That's it. Just a little bit. Yeah, that's um, it. 
is breathing room, you know? Yeah. So, I have many friends who are, you know, they're in same sex marriages. They, they were concerned. They were worried. I mean, and they are like, some of them have said, I, I had my first night of really good sleep in a long time. I feel like we're going to be safe. Yeah. And this yeah. is important. And that's another whole episode that we, we are shouting out to Kamala and, and Joe Biden and, yes. um, you know, my, you know, being a former teacher and being in the education consulting business, um, and knowing that Jill is an educator, my husband's like, he came into my office this morning because he knows I go big with everything in my life. He, he knows that I fully intend to be sitting on Oprah's couch someday discussing my book. You know, he's like, this is my wife. This is what she does. Um, and so he comes in, he goes, so next on your list is Jill Biden. You're going to work on the education system with Jill Biden. I was like, oh, yes, yes. And shout out to Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden. To have an educator in the house. Yes. Whatever. Good news for us all. Yeah. Yes. So I've loved everything about this conversation. I knew we would go off on several tangents because let's be honest, we could go away together and talk nonstop, I think, for the next week or so. There's so much to talk about. So much goodness. I absolutely love, see, my, my favorite thing is when someone can take an atrocity or something in their life and, and, and do what Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, you know, turn that into big magic, big yes. magic. Yeah. Um, and talking about her book, I have to tell you, that's one of the reasons I went to the remote cabin because in big magic, Elizabeth talks about if you have an idea yeah. and it, it's trying to attach to you and you don't act on it. It will go attach itself to someone else. I love that story, by I the way. Yes. So I was like, like oh, yes, <laughs> grab it. Yeah. So I've had the idea for five years and I'm like, it's going to, it's going to go attach itself and someone else is going to write my book. So, but I, I love that you have taken this idea of invisibleness and explained multiple perspectives on what that can look like in today's world and that your mission is to make sure that everyone feels like they have a place. Yes. Yes. So powerful, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I always end this by asking this one question since the title of the podcast is She Finds Joy. And for any of you listening, you're going to want to screenshot this episode, send it to your friends. You're going to want to look up the Only One in the Room podcast. But I want to know, Laura Cathcart Robbins, how are you personally reaching for more joy in your life? Well, I don't know if my answer would have been different pre-COVID-19, but boy, I am, first of all, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, we didn't really talk about this, but I'm 12 plus years sober. So I have this gratitude about wow. being able to be present for my family because I wasn't for a while. Um, that but is a great I, story in itself. Oh my goodness. We didn't even I'll, get there. We didn't even get, that's another podcast. Mm. We can do follow-ups. We do, um, we do yes. both of us. <laughs> both of us, yes. <laughs> I am so grateful for the ability to be present. Mm -hmm. I find so much joy in my morning cup of coffee. I mean, it's almost afternoon now, but I find joy in my spoon that I use every day. I 
to be able to have conversations with my sons. I, I don't have them in my mind as somewhere else anymore. I'm in. I want to know everything about them. I want to soak it up. I talk to my parents all the time. I want to soak them up. My partner, Scott, who I love, who has been with me for the last 12 plus years. You know, I really, I, I, I don't always make the time that I need to make for him. So I want to um, just state that, but because of the work-life balance and we work together and we, we, we don't, I consider that to be kind of our time together and it needs to be separate, but you know, we go away together and it is just the joy that we mm -hmm. find in being in one another's presence. And I think I had all that joy in my life before, but I wasn't able to be present for it. It was there, yes. but I didn't have access to it. And now that I have that access, I'm just so grateful for the ability to to just sit there and and so because these things bring me true happiness, that yes. feeling of safety that we talked about in your episode on the only one in the room. I get from being present for these people that I love so much. And the other thing, which some people think is funny, is my bed really brings me joy. <laughs> no, I, I know I when love you my bed. Sheets and yes, the clean. I, my sheets are ironed, and I Girl. I love a fresh bed. I am so excited to get into it when it's fresh. You know what? There's as a happiness coach, I have to tell you, there's a word for this that you're describing. What? It's savor. What we yes. know is people who savor their experiences. And that's what you're talking about. You are savoring, you I are fully am. immersed in the moments of them. Ooh. That leads to greater levels of happiness. And yes. so you are a savior. You are savoring the ability to feel completely connected to those that are most important to you, Thank including you. your sheets. I need that t-shirt. Yeah. Savoring is happiness. Savoring is, Savoring happiness. is joy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I also want to make sure that we tell people exactly where to find you. And I want them to hear it from your mouth. So okay, where can great. we find more of you? Thank you. Well, the best way is our website, theonlyonepod.com. Um, that's theonlyonepod.com spelled out. I'm on Instagram at Laura Cathcart Robbins. I'm also at the only one in the room. Um, LC Robbins at LC Robbins on Twitter. And we have a Facebook group for our fans, the oh. podcast fans called the roomies. Um, and um, if you go on Facebook and ask to join, I will admit you. Um, and I'm Laura Cathcart Robbins on Facebook. Okay. And we're going to drop all of those links into the show notes, show notes too, because Laura sent great. me those. All right. Oh, what great. a pleasure on, and an honor thank to you. be here with you. Yes. Thank you so much, Kim. Till we meet again. We did it. Thank you so much for listening in on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm honored to share this space with you and I hope you keep showing up as the real you in this world. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you.